So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. That's the commandment right there in Scripture for all of us. And I wonder how often any of you have washed anyone else's feet. I'm curious just to know how many of you have ever been to a ritual foot washing? Ah, great. How many of you have done it here in this congregation? About what I expected. And how many of you have grown up with that tradition in the, in the spiritual tradition you grew up in? Aha, uh-huh, kind of a little, not so much. So this is a passage that I wrote to you about this week that we normally only get on Monday, Thursday. But we're following a different lectionary this season in Lent, and we're reading things that we normally don't get until Holy Week during the season of Lent, almost as a way to prepare us for when we get to those dark days of Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and then the exclamation of resurrection on Easter Sunday, which, as you may know, this this year falls on April Fool's Day. So I want to back up before I try to get into the meat and meaning of what this text might in heaven's name be about, to talk a little bit about historical context. Some of you may know this, but in the ancient world, particularly in the Middle East, in the Levant, people wore sandals. Their feet got dirty all the time and abused. And so it was common practice when you went into anyone's house that you took off your sandals and got your feet washed. Usually you might do it yourself, but water and towels would be made available for you. Much like how we might take someone's coat, or in Japanese or other cultures, you might leave your shoes at the door or in a temple. It was a sign of cleanliness, hygiene, and also an ultimate test of hospitality. You can read in Genesis how Abraham and Sarah did this for the angels who told them about Isaac coming to them in their old age. Or you can read about it in Sodom and Gomorrah when the angels arrived and the people met them at the door. Or when Joseph received his brothers when they came after betraying him down in Egypt. It's all through the Bible, this tradition of hospitality. It was the first duty of the host to do this ethic of hospitality. It was, if you didn't do it, It was a sign of marked unfriendliness. And people did it before meals, just like we hear in this story. They did it before going to bed. And if you were to abstain from washing your feet for a long time, it was a sign that you were in deep mourning. In our North American desire to keep our feet warm and safe, we cover them up with socks and boots and Gore-Tex gear. And I wonder if we have lost the ancient sense of the centrality of feet in our lives to take us where we're wanting to go. Now, I've never preached a sermon on feet before, but bear with me here. Thank you. I was even going to invite those of you who dare to go ahead and take off your shoes and socks and feel the ground under you, check in with your neighbors before you do that, but you, or, or not, just go ahead. And, but to go ahead and talk about what this means... Something that I believe the ancient folks understood is how central feet are. They are the foundation of our being. They are what connects us to the ground under us. If you've ever taken a good yoga class, you know the first thing the teacher often asks you to do is to feel the mat and the ground under your feet, to stretch your toes out, to really get engaged with the foundation of the earth. It's also knit into our language. The word for earth, humus, 
in the Indo-European languages gives us humanity and humility and humor, essential qualities to being a human being, to be being one of the children of God. You'll also may know if you read Atul Gawande's book, Being Mortal, that he goes to visit someone as they go to the geriatrician's office, someone who specializes in old age. The woman had back problems and intestinal problems and among eyesight and other failings of her human body. He did the perfunctory routine of checking her blood pressure, her heartbeat, her eyes, her ears, her mouth. And then he spent the most of the time looking at her feet. Inch by inch, the webbing, the way they fit the ground, because he realized that as we get older, our feet get more and more important, and they tend to fail us more and more. They are the key to our balance, our mobility, the risk of falling. Sometimes as we get older, we cannot reach our feet and take care of them. And yet, you will know that in the Bible, this is what God asked Moses to do when he heard the burning bush and his call. Take off your feet, sandals and feel the holy ground underneath you. It's what the psalmist said when we read scripture. It should be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, directing us in the ways we should go. We heard Isaiah say, how beautiful are the feet of those who bear the good news. We hear it in Paul in 2 Corinthians when he says, the head cannot say to the feet, I have no need of you, because the head cannot stand upright without the feet. And in the previous chapter in John, we see perhaps one of the most arresting and sensuous pieces of all the Gospels, when Mary anoints Jesus' feet with costly oil and wipes it with her hair. And Judas gets upset and says, we could have used that money for some good works. And Jesus says, calm down. She knows what's most important. Now, I will say that some traditions, particularly the Anabaptist traditions in this country, have kept this ritual of foot washing alive as it is stated in John's Gospel. And John's Gospel is the only Gospel that makes a big deal of this. He actually makes a bigger deal of it than he does of communion. He doesn't say anything about starting communion. But more about that in a bit. A good friend of mine grew up in the Church of the Brethren in Pennsylvania, which comes out of the Anabaptist tradition. And there on Monday, Thursday, they do this text exactly as written. They follow it letter to the letter. Some of the elders in the church get up, put a towel around their waist, and they go around to each person sitting in the chairs around the perimeter and washes each person's feet one by one. I don't know this exactly, but I picture them in a candlelit room singing old hymns to comfort them and to remember that they are servants, just as we're going to sing after this, this message. A few years ago, when I started working at a church in Wellesley, they decided to create, bring foot washing back in Monday, Thursday. And people weren't quite sure what they thought of this practice, but there was a run on pedicures in the local shops that year. And in my last church in Washington State, we introduced it. We went out and got big feed troughs from the local grain store in which to put the water. And it was an option before Monday, Thursday. And I got some pushback from members of the congregation. Why should we do that? We don't have the same problem with our feet they had in ancient time. Why should we practice this ritual? To which I said, well, why do we practice communion? 
Why do we practice baptism? Why do we practice any of these rituals? And that's the heart of where I want to go today. I was happy to know when I came to United Parish that we have this practice. We make it voluntary. You can do it in the chapel before you come in here for the Monday, Thursday service. You can put, uh, I believe it's March 27th on your calendar as a date that you would like to do that. If you don't want your feet washed, you can get your hands washed, just as Peter asked Jesus to do for him. It is an option. It is central in John's Gospel, as I said. He says, just as I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to do it. And this line, which particularly grabs my attention, for very truly I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. So why would Jesus do this? And why would John highlight it for us? Why would he not even tell us about instituting the Lord's Supper, but instead go from the Passover meal right to washing feet? I wonder what would have happened if in the Christian tradition, foot washing had become our sacrament instead of the Lord's Supper. The first Sunday of the month, you know you're going to come here and it's going to be foot washing time. We would find out really clearly who has feet that are in good shape, who gets a regular pedicure, who has long toes, who doesn't, who has short toes. We would also figure out, now bear with me, this may be TMI, but we'd also find out who has flat feet, who has fallen arches, who has bunions and corns, an athlete's foot, and warts, and yes, toe fungus. We would find out some of the things that we would rather people not know about us, some of those things we keep hidden under our socks and our shoes. I will tell you, one of the blessings of middle age is you get to learn about all these things. For those of you under 40, just wait. And so I wonder if it would make us a more vulnerable people if we would make us more real with each other, if we would actually open up more about the things we struggle with, the things that get in the way with us and God, the things that get in the way with us and one another. You may know that in our Lenten worship on Thursday nights, we're doing a focus on getting real with God. And what does it mean to confess those things that keep us blocked from God? I also wonder if it would give us more of an ethic of service central to our Gospels. That we are called to serve one another even in the most vulnerable and the lowliest and the most, the dirtiest parts of our lives. What I also wonder is if it might shrink our churches. Because people are going to stay away from that stuff. It's too close to the heart. It's too real in a culture that too often tries to keep us distanced from what is real and what is important. Now I think that the real reason that Jesus gave us this commandment is this ethic of service, which is central to what we are to do as Christians, which is central to the gospel. You may have noticed recently that in the Pope, since he first came in 2013, started instituting, expanding this practice. As you'll see on the cover of your order of worship, it was instituted in the 50s that the Pope would wash the feet of 12 priests on Holy Thursday. But Pope Francis said, we're going to expand this practice We're going to wash the feet of women and refugees and people in prison. And it has been moving to watch him do that. This Pope who said to everyone, first of all, I am a sinner and here to serve other people, does this for people who have never had their feet washed by anyone with tears streaming down their faces. 
You see, the word Monday and Monday Thursday comes from this new mandate that Jesus gives us. This new commandment that we are to love one another just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. And everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have this love and service for one another. So I want to just shift gears then into thinking about what it means for us to be servants. Any of you who've waited tables know what it means to serve other people. You know how it is to be humiliated by people's own entitlement or stinginess. You also know what it means to have a good customer. You know what it means to take care of people at the table. Later in Acts, they would call the first apostles deacons, waiters at table. That is what you and I are called to be. And one of the people I like to quote about this ethic of service is the head of the restaurant hospitality empire in New York City, Danny Meyer. Some of you may know him. He started Union Square Cafe and Gramercy Tavern, and now known to us in New England, Shake Shack. He has the restaurants at the MoMA and the Whitney Museums in New York City. And this is where the title of the sermon, which I'm not sure it's the right title, but it's the one in front of you, 51% comes from. Because Danny Meyer says, if you want good service, if you want people to help and really uh, serve one another in this economy that we have, you need to hire for the 51% factor. Which means 51% emotional intelligence. I would say for us, spiritual intelligence. You can train for all the other skills, but make sure that your people have 51% or more of that emotional, spiritual intelligence and 49% or less of the technical ability. And here, here are the reasons he says this, because the people who have that have a sense of optimism and kindness. He wants them to have a curiosity about learning, an exceptional work ethic, a high degree of empathy, and this is key, self-awareness and integrity. Those of you who like to think about the sermon may want to take this on with you, and you can write them down. The first being optimism and kindness. He believes that if we're going to serve other people, we have to radiate warmth and friendliness, happiness and kindness, and optimism, a sense that the glass is always half full. In the Christian sense, I say we have hope that things will get better and we will work toward that day. So if we're going to be the people who embody foot washing, the people who serve others, we have this kind of kindness and hope. Secondly, he says curiosity and learning. People who are curious about the world, who know that once they master one skill, they won't stop there. They'll keep on learning new skills. An exceptional work ethic, but they will be willing to go and above and beyond, to go the extra mile, as Jesus says. If they have a tricky bill open at a table before they leave their shift, they'll make sure that they hand it over in a helpful way to the next servant. And here's the important piece, a high degree of empathy, an awareness of, a care for, and a connection of how others feel and how our actions make them feel. If we Christians could embody empathy for the world, I imagine what would that do for our government, for our neighbors, neighbors for our, all the people we encounter on the streets. Self-awareness, knowing what makes you tick, and integrity. A natural inclination to be accountable for doing the right thing with honesty and superb, superb judgment. 
As we seek to get real with God, as we seek to serve others, these qualities could be the catchwords, the bywords that we look at in how we might create these practices in ourselves. So what is this foot washing all about? The Church of the Brethren, one of those Anabaptist churches I mentioned, puts it this way. Foot washing is a symbolic cleansing act that reminds us in God's sight, everyone needs loving attention and everyone can offer that service to others. First, we humbly accept attention and care from the one who washes our feet. And then we in turn wash someone else's feet. And after each act of foot washing, the people embrace and share a simple phrase of blessing. And in renewing and receiving this emblem of God's cleansing grace, we remember together that we are followers of Jesus, that we can help distribute God's blessing to others through steady, loving service, symbolically washing the feet of the world. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who carry the good news. And what will those feet do for you? Where will they take you? How are they connecting you to God's good earth, to your own humanity and humility and humor? How are they reminding you of the dust from whence you have come and the dust to which you will return? How will you use your hands, your feet, your intellect, and your heart to serve the world? For the world awaits us, ready and waiting. Amen.